the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Week one, not 100% in the books. In fact, week one still with a lot left to go. Significant action underway. UCLA currently leading LSU as we get set recording at 11.50 p.m. Eastern time. All right, we've got uh, the top five matchup in the books, Georgia and Clemson. Uh, Georgia 10, Clemson 3, a lot to get to there. We could take this thing all the way back into our significant Thursday and Friday night results as we've not gotten a chance to recap there. But for you, uh, the wonderful, wonderful viewers that are tuning in, youtube.com slash cover three. Reminder, you can always watch our Monday afternoon shows, our Thursday lock shows, and our Saturday instant reaction shows. You can be tuning in to them at youtube.com slash cover three. And if you are a subscriber to the cover three page on YouTube, then guess what? Turn on those notifications. You get notified anytime we go live so you don't even have to worry about it. So uh, as uh, is it now 37 to 20? Did UCLA just score a touchdown? Yeah, yeah. It's it's over oh. and you get the Rose Bowl, boys. Okay, so uh, let's, how about let's save until the 631 left as I'm looking at my score tracker right now. I don't have any screens because I'm dedicating all my bandwidth to you and delivering that multi-platform <laughs> excellence. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, start with Clemson and Georgia. It's fresh on my mind. I just did the, the write-up for cbsports.com and uh, I, I think I want to tackle it first because I think we can get through it probably faster than some of these other results because it feels like we don't have a lot to peel apart so I want to turn it over to you guys first um, in this performance where we saw no offensive touchdowns but man uh, such a strong level of play from Jordan Davis, from Devontae Wyatt, you got good outside linebacker play from Anderson and from Nolan Smith um, is this all about Georgia's defense for you? How much of this do you assign to Clemson's offense? And, you know, how do you balance those two things as we look at both these teams moving forward? You know, I got to say, I liked that game better when it was called Penn State, Wisconsin this morning. Ooh, you think, you think, do you think that's a theme through the day? Do you think that the defense is being ahead of the offenses is something that we might have seen in week one? Maybe in a way we didn't see in week one in the pandemic season? Possibly. I just think that there was two cases of two teams with better defensive lines than offensive lines. And you kind of got a you know messy game to, to, to take out of it. But that was that was really my biggest takeaway from Georgia Clemson tonight was that neither offensive line. I didn't you know, I 
I thought Georgia's offensive line was better than Clemson's offensive line going in, but neither of them exactly covered themselves in glory tonight. And in their defense, like Clemson, that Georgia defensive line was just incredible tonight. That entire front seven, we talked about it this week leading up to it. It's why I took Georgia in the game. Still, I was shocked to see how dominant it was. And I feel like Clemson's defensive line, while not quite at the same level as Georgia's tonight, also played really well. I thought neither JT Daniels or DJ played great, but in their defense, they were under a lot of pressure over the entire night. I also felt like neither team's receivers did a whole lot to get open and give them kind of a release valve for them for most of the night, too. So it was, I mean, Georgia's obviously going to be happy with the win, but it's not like a kind of win where if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm like, all right, we're ready to go compete with Alabama. I think both these teams were really missing some important pieces tonight, and it showed, right? And where they were not missing pieces, for the most part, with the exception of Clemson with Tyler Davis, was along the defensive line. Um, both offensive lines kind of got whipped. I thought when Georgia lost Tate in that first series along, along the offensive line, that was a pretty big deal because, as you know, if you listen to the Junkyard Dogcast, they've been talking about how they're, they're down offensive linemen. They, they got a bunch of injuries up front, and then to lose him – was a big deal. Tom, I thought the other point you brought up was really good, though. Where is the Hunter Renfro? Where is yeah. is the uh, – um, shoot, the slot they had last year, right, who came off the ACL yeah, and, and – Larry really Rogers, good. the guy – Where's the just, threat of the middle of the field? The guy that can, yeah, the guy who could get that first yeah. down on third and six when you really need it. And everyone, all the receivers look the it, same. Yeah, everyone's been trying yeah. to make it Braden Galloway. Everyone imagines that Braden Galloway is going to be this, like – magic potion for this offense to be able to open it up. He missed all the time with the PED suspension and you were just like, okay, well now he's back. And it's just, it's never clicked. You know, you look at JC chalk, you look at like all those different tight ends. Uh, but we brought it up, man, might've been a month ago, but like Jordan Leggett was a huge part of a Clemson offense back in the day. And whether it's a slot receiver or a tight end, you don't have a middle of the field presence right now. I mean, like how how much of that do you take into also the you know decisions that DJ Uyunglele is making right now? I mean, do you give him good grades for this game, or are you putting a lot of this also on the the personnel and the makeup of the pass catchers? Just because I've seen it in high school and because I've seen him do it last year, I I, I do give him kind of a pass because I, I feel like he was just harassed all night, and when he had a little bit of time. He made a couple of pretty good throws, uh, especially the, the one when, when they're going in the fourth quarter you know, down the sideline. It was a nice ball he threw. I just think that like Georgia overwhelmed them physically right now. They do have some issues up front, and nobody's really like, nobody's getting open for them. On a couple of those wide-angle replays that ESPN showed, nobody was open. It wasn't like he was misidentifying guys who who weren't open. Like they just they weren't there. Yeah, I also think too like. They've got to figure out a way to get a more of a run game going with him. Because, I mean, I especially if you don't have the receivers who are going to get the kind of separation that they clearly weren't. And I don't know, maybe whether you game plan for it or not tonight, maybe the way that Georgia defense line was playing, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I mean, he technically finished with 14 rushes for negative 22 yards, but he was sacked seven times. And I think that's something that, but I, I just think that's something Clemson might want to consider going forward to kind of maybe take some pressure off of teams being able to just, you know, blitz or, do whatever they have to do to take advantage of that offensive line. And then the other side too, like going back to Georgia, like JT Daniels, 22 of 30 for 135 yards. Like where was the, 
vertical stuff that we oh, were no, not there. No, 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 no. Yeah, we had no explosive passes. We had no explosive plays in this game. I mean, the, the, do you remember the questions that we had about these receivers on Georgia once Pickens went down and yeah. once um, the other guy went down? Like, guys, they got issues there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe they'll get some dudes back. We'll see. Do you think yeah, it matters? Because that's I, like that when we were discussing the stakes episode, when we said, you know, how much does this game mean? It does feel like I came out with more concern about both Georgia and Clemson. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I spin it forward and I don't see either team losing another game, at least before the conference championship game. I mean, if, if Georgia's offense is as impotent as it looked tonight, they could lose to Florida pretty easily. They could lose to Auburn. That was just, I mean, granted, they're not going to be facing many defensive lines like Clemson, but still, like, it was just dink and dunk, dink and dunk. They weren't taking any shots, and it was just too much like the Georgia team we saw last year where it's like, sure, maybe their defense is so good that they're going to be able to just keep playing these low-scoring games, but the problem we've talked about for the last few years with this team is when they get up against a team that can score, they can't keep up. So it's like when it comes to Alabama, they can't keep up. Florida can score. Like the Gators looked, I didn't watch that entire game. They looked pretty crappy for most of the game before they finally turned it on against FAU and pulled away. But I still think that's a Florida offense that as the season gets going is going to be able to put points on the board. And my biggest concern after watching Georgia tonight is like, hell yeah, you're one to know. That's great. But man, you scored. 10 points, and seven of them came on defense. Mm. Anything else? Uh, we, I mean, we've got a lot to get to. I, I want to hit Penn State, Wisconsin next. Anything else on Clemson, Georgia that lingers? How about this? All right, so let's say, uh, I. does everyone here think that Clemson's going to win the rest of its regular season games? Based on the way the ACC looked at its other games, yeah, probably. Okay. Yes. What What is the most likely loss? I, NC State. I, yeah, maybe. I'm not I'm not writing off North Carolina after a tough road game to start the season against Virginia Tech. I'm not writing off Miami after getting blitzed by Alabama because that's just what Alabama does to everybody. But still, I just yeah, I I go NC State maybe right now because they just NC State of all those teams, like they're the only one that really will not Clemson, Clemson still, but of the other three challengers, NC State's the only one that I thought was like a physical football team that I saw this week that actually looked like it was ready to hit somebody. Like North Carolina felt soft to me at times at that Virginia Tech game. You know, Miami, again, it was Alabama, so you can't put too much stock into it, but they looked soft to me for most of that game. And I just feel like NC State's the only team I feel like if Clemson were to punch it in the face, I feel like NC State's the only one that would punch back. I mean, it's NC State. They were like, they look on time. They look on schedule. They are doing what you would hope to see out of an experienced team. And I say that on time on schedule because that game's on September 25th. I think the Clemson team that shows up in Charlotte again for the ACC championship will be a much better team when Will Shipley, when Kobe Pace, when this offensive line has had an entire season to be able to be a little bit more cohesive and try and gel, when when all of the turnover... I mean, DJ's going to be a better quarterback in December than he is in this moment against this Georgia team. So even acknowledging the the North Carolina and the Miami struggles and you know looking at the Coastal, I still think that it's almost like if you're a Clemson fan and if you are coming out of this nervous then 
I look at NC State and that trip to Carter-Finley Stadium, I'm a little bit concerned, but I also know that if we can pass that test, then you've got all of October and then you've got all of November to be able to, uh, you know, get things back in line. I mean, I know that UConn on November 13th is going to give you sweats. I understand (laughs) that the Huskies are going to have vengeance on their minds, you know, after losing the Holy Cross. I ran the Chipolytics last Sunday, guys. I, I had Clemson as a 54-point favorite against UConn uh, on a neutral field. And after UConn lost the Holy Cross, I haven't run the new numbers after today's results, but I, I wonder if we're going to get to Savannah State territory with the Huskies by the time uh, that game comes in November. I don't know. After what I saw today, I don't think I could trust Clemson as a 50-point favorite against anybody right now. <laughs> Even UConn. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned Wisconsin-Penn State, Tom, because you were live blogging that game. I was live blogging uh, Clemson and uh, Georgia for the site. You had the noon kickoff with the Wisconsin-Penn State. It was a game that, man, Wisconsin, for so much of this game, they just had. They were they They were driving. They were driving. Mm-hmm. They they got to call all the turns. They got to they got to pick all the road stops. Like when you were saying, like, "Hey guys, like we're going to be hitting exit number four. Wisconsin got to say we're going to Jersey Mike's. You know what? I, I understand what everybody else in the car wants to do because they were in total control of this game. Their defense was great. Penn State couldn't get really anything going. I did make a comment. Uh, in the group chat, and I will stand by it, that I was looking for this new era and this modern offense with Graham Mertz, especially after everything we saw from his debut against Illinois in that weird 2020 season opener for the Badgers. Then he gets COVID, and then the whole season gets sideways for Wisconsin. But in this one, it just kind of looked like he was doing Wisconsin stuff. You could have told me that that was Jack Cohn, who's going to be starting for Notre Dame against uh, Florida State, that it was Jack Cohn under center, but it was actually Graham Mertz. But doing Wisconsin stuff, you know, listen, that's still like going for it on fourth down because we got bigger boys that we're going to go get this. You know, like we're just going to be shutting you down. They were they were playing a game that they had won, and then Jahan Dotson happened, and then some turnovers happened, a couple pick sixes, a couple of good like plays from behind the line of scrimmage. It, like Tom, what was your sort of strongest read from this? Again, let's pitch it in the same sort of lens as the Clemson, Georgia. Are you coming out of this with stronger feelings about Wisconsin or Penn State? First of all, you're getting confused with Iowa and Indiana. There were no pick sixes in this game. That would have made it exciting, and this game was not exciting in the slightest. I, you know, I, coaches say it all the time. It's so cliched. You know, it's like oh, what comes just don't turn the ball over and finish drives. Wisconsin turned the ball over three times and it was one for four in the red zone, managing only seven points on four red zone trips. It fumbled once. It it got a field goal blocked. It was just, it was a horrible day for Wisconsin finishing drives. And a lot of that credit goes to Penn State's front seven. Arthur Ebikidi, a transfer from Temple, was a monster. I feel like every school should be checking Temple for pass rush transfers in the future if you need a quick infusion because Quincy Roche last year at Miami and now Ebikidi with this year with Penn State's off to a great start. But to go along what you were saying with the Wisconsin offense not looking different, I I don't think it's a I don't think it's by choice. I think my my biggest takeaway from what I could see in this game today was it's not that dissimilar to what we were just talking about with Georgia and Clemson. Like 
Wisconsin has Jake Ferguson at tight end, who's a good player for them at the tight end position who can help them up the seams, but he's not a guy who is stretching teams vertically. Like he's not beating linebackers and safeties. He's not that kind of Kyle Pitts matchup where you can have him running vertical down the field and beating guys. And Wisconsin just doesn't have those guys at the wide receiver spot. So Penn State was athletic enough with its linebackers and safeties to kind of take Ferguson out of the picture. And Wisconsin didn't have its own version of Jahan Dotson to break free in the secondary four big plays for Graham Mertz to find them. And I think that really hindered what the Badgers were doing. And then on the flip side, Penn State was very inefficient offensively. But like you said, they hit Jahan Dotson on a couple deep shots. Sean Clifford looks better throwing vertically than he does on the intermediate to short stuff, even though you're still you know, not as efficient as you'd like on those deep passes. But it was what was working best for that Penn State offense today. So I, I think Wisconsin is going to probably look back on this game and feel like it's one that it should have won. But I don't think Penn State feels like it you know, stole anything either. I feel like Penn State just thinks defensively we hung in there and gave ourselves a chance at the end of the few plays when we needed them. And Wisconsin just didn't make the plays. Is Wisconsin is just missing a Quintez Cephas type, right? Yeah. Like, like that's the last explosive guy they had on the outside. Like they're – their skill guys on the outside are just not very impressive. You can play them in single coverage and actually be pretty confident, right? Like I, I yeah, I they mean, don't scare me. They don't scare Tom or, or Chip or, or anybody in the comment section here. Like they're just hey, not listen, scary. Danny Davis, Danny Davis is all right. Danny Davis, Danny Davis, he's there. supposed to be that guy, but he, he just twenty three yards is the longest yeah. catch. I know, like twenty three yards. What was the second longest catch? Sixteen, like. They don't take the top off. You would think with, with how much play action they run, they would be able to get over the top of somebody and, and bust something deep, and they don't. And then they just – they're like, we're tough. We're Wisconsin. We're going to run the ball. And, I mean, their top two backs had 44 for 177. Like, I'll give that to you all day. That's not efficient. Yeah, I thought that you – know, uh, like, you know, for a Penn State team that we think their running backs are awesome, I, I mean, in good – it's Wisconsin, so we do the same Clemson-Georgia thing where we have to adjust our scale based on the fact that you're going up against a defense that we expect to be one of the best in the country. But, like, I, I kind of thought Penn State's offensive line kind of got worked at the point of attack, and the fact that they had to lean on some of these explosive plays. Like, I, we said it in the stakes game to go back into it. I feel like I'm coming out of this being like, wow, Penn State went to Madison and got a win. This is a team that we should believe is set for a potential back bounce back season. Is, is that a overreaction? I think slightly. I mean, I don't, it depends what your version of bounce back is. Like if you're talking about like, you know, 11 and one, no, if you're talking about being a, maybe the second best team in the conference, or at least being, you know, a good big 10 team, then yes, I think that while this isn't a win that really proves anything, I think it is at least for this Penn state team, a confidence boost because, you know, you finished last, you started terribly last year. You finished this last season on the five game win streak. And now you're starting this year with a road win against Wisconsin. And while it was ugly, it's still a road win against the top 20 team. That's you're going to feel good about it. So I, th I, I think that if Penn State this could be a good step forward to having a much better 2021, it's just I still have some serious doubts about the ceiling of this team unless Sean Clifford makes some improvements and that offensive line had a nightmare day today. Unless we see improvement there, it, it could be a difficult season still. I did not watch one second of Auburn Akron. Will you, will you give me any reason to step off my position that Penn State is a much better team than Auburn and will probably win that game in Happy Valley? 
I'm not assuming that. I I think I would still pick Penn State right now, but I didn't see you know I didn't see anything of Auburn's to game today really, so I couldn't tell you. But I know Bo Nix balled out twenty and twenty two, two seventy five, three touchdowns. I think Akron's the worst team in the FBS. Maybe <laughs> I know we've seen UConn lose, but like I really because I don't know if you, Tom, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Tion Dollard, they're the only reason why you think Akron might win a single game this year. He's not on the roster, which makes me feel really good about that Bowling Green over, uh, because like they, that, I'm, I'm gonna get that dub against Tom because Tion Dollard is not not on that. Anyway, like I, I, there was a reason that that Akron's team total in the first half was 0.5. <laughs> I almost bet the under this morning. I was like, man, is Akron really going to score? <laughs> I, not to have a too early pre, like preview of the Penn State game. Um, Auburn still has a whole lot of defensive speed in the back seven, but I don't think that their defensive line is all that good. They've lost some important pieces off their defensive line. So I'll be interested to see how much they can bust up Penn State's offensive line like Wisconsin was able to do today. All right, let's go, uh, you know, right now, again, as we're speaking, the uh, if you're in the comments on YouTube.com slash Cover 3, uh, we're not going to play spoiler. I know a lot of our listeners are, are getting this on Sunday morning, but uh, but UCLA currently looking like it might be uh, cruising. We will get, Once that game goes final, we will address it. Uh, let's go open floor. If you want to talk Oklahoma surviving a challenge from Tulane, if you would like to discuss the, the many, many wins for the FCS, if there's something else that's on your mind. I mean, Iowa did look like maybe this. You you talk about being the second best team in the Big Ten. Iowa looked like it might have been the second best team in the Big Ten. Uh, Sark uh, wins by 20 in that game against Louisiana. Bud's prayers that this line would drop. I mean, you didn't even need the line to drop. Even, even at the big old open, uh, that was going to be a Texas win the entire way. A lot of notes from that open floor. Uh, Bud, where would you like to go? What sort of stood out to you? I, I thought the UCLA-LSU game was was pretty fascinating. If, if we can if we can just go there, I, I guess, or, or should we wait? It's over. Um, dude, let's 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 go to all right. Fine. If you were one of the, if you've been listening to the show, you're on LSU fans. You gave us all that crap for saying that LSU's run defense was bad, which it was last year, and I thought it was more of a problem than a pass defense. How about you give us five stars on iTunes now because y'all just gave up 200 plus rushing yards on like 26 carries. So yeah, um, Chip Kelly found ways to outgap y'all and basically bust long runs, which was interesting. Um, I thought LSU's defense, for the most part, did a good job of making Max Johnson get rid of the ball before he was ready. Kayshawn is nasty for LSU, but right now UCLA is more physical, tough football team than LSU is. And obviously LSU had the displacement issue this week, which I think is, can't be understated. I mean, that's a huge deal. And they were on a bus for like 10 hours, and a lot of those folks' homes are, are in the path of, of the storm. Uh, but UCLA looks good. I am extremely pleased to be holding a 10-to-1 ticket on UCLA for the South at this point. Like, I think UCLA looks like the best team, in, not only in the South, but also in the Pac-12. I, mean, I, I think so far UCLA has definitely been the most impressive team in the Pac-12 based on what you saw because Oregon kind of futzed around with, with Fresno today before finally kind of putting it away. And USC was never really in danger against San Jose State, but you never really felt like USC was – there was anything special about it. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, okay – they're beating them and it's really 
I don't know, maybe they're saving something, but it's just there was nothing that really popped about watching the Trojans today. Something that caught my eye as a reason to think, hey, this might be a special year. But again, it's week one. I don't want to make too many overreactions. But uh, speaking of what? overreactions, Caleb Williams is better than Spencer Rattler. I'm just saying it again and again. I am so out on that entire recruiting class of quarterbacks. Like, I w- can I share an Elite 11 story? Yes. Yes. All right. We had the Justin Fields and Trevor year, right? And, like, that was a really good year. Those dudes were no doubt studs. Like, you guys are about as good as the college counselors at this event, kind of. And next year, Sam Field, lead 11, I'm like, man, this feels like like a really good regional compared to last year, like not like a national event. And it was, you know, Spencer and Howell. And, and those dudes are good college quarterbacks. They are. It was like, like not all number one QBs in a given year are created equal. You know what I mean? Mm. And I just, I don't know. I'm not in love with that quarterback class still. Yeah, I feel like that was, I'll probably write about that a little on Monday and the Monday after, because I do think that was one of my bigger takeaways from the weekend, going all the way back to Thursday night with C.J. Stroud and seeing him, you know, struggle a little bit and not look great, seeing DJU struggle a little bit tonight, not look great, seeing Rattler struggle. I mean, Bryce Young balled out and looked fantastic, but I think we were kind of spoiled like with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields like you said it's those two are very special players who were ready right from the jump to just kind of step in and be terrific college quarterbacks and I think that it makes you start to think that every single highly rated quarterback is going to be that same player but man these guys they're still young they still need reps they still need game action to really figure things out and get comfortable and i think that's been showing and i think that's something we need to reconsider especially like early in the year when we just kind of i i, I think like me in particular i've i've kind of fallen into a habit where it's like i think eh, now this kid'll be fine they're always fine like when you struggle you just assume that everything's going to be okay later in the season and you have to entertain the idea that it might not kind of like when mm-hmm. Tate Martell is on his ninth school and he, along with the rest of the QB one QBs are out here struggling just a little bit. When the news out of UNLV was that he didn't make the depth chart. mm, Sad to see. He's man. He he missed the NIL era big time. Like you mentioned Tate Martell. If he was like five years younger, he would be killing NIL coming to high school. That was my uh, Spencer Rattler joke was just thinking it's like, man, that guy, he probably could end up making more in NIL than Caleb Williams, and Caleb Williams could end up starting by the end of the season. So, yeah, Caleb Williams is better. Everybody thought I was kidding. Um, so, how about this? I thought that Oklahoma's defense doesn't deserve as much of the blame for this game as maybe the offense, which not only had the three interceptions for Spencer Rattler, but also just didn't do a very good job of extending drives all throughout that second half. We're going to like, it's easy because our brains are programmed to say Oklahoma's defense stinks. And so we should blame them. Oh, Alex Grinch. I thought the defense was going to be good. I I don't think the offense did them any favors throughout the second half of that game. And I think that a little bit of that is Rattler. And, uh, but a little bit of that might be coaching, which influenced by Rattler offensive line ground game, the whole thing. Yeah, I, the snap broadcast box score is not coming up for this game, so I'd like to check, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Like, Did Tulane have a bunch of long scoring drives, or were they mostly kind of shorter drives? 
because let's oh, here I found it. It's they had one touch drive of seventy five yards, and the rest were all pretty. Oh, one one of eighty, but the rest were all like fifty five or shorter. Defense did okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to assign that blame uh, as such. Uh, all right, Tom, where do you? Where would you like to go? Uh, I mean, we, the elephant in the room, but like, S teams had a very good Saturday, including East Tennessee State. Man, you had to go there, huh? Well, I mean, we have to bring it up, but it's just it was it was like it was a rough start. It was a rough start for Vandy. We saw Washington go down to Montana. We saw, you know, um, what's the other one? I can't think of right now off the top of my head. UC Davis beat in Tulsa. Played for the American Athletic Conference. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that is that is definitely still on my mind. I mean. Iowa State nearly lost to Northern Iowa. That game was close throughout the entire thing. There were just it was it was a theme throughout the entire weekend where you know it's like normally in the beginning of the season you see like some teams mess around with FCS teams and there are a few close calls and then the fourth quarter rolls around and they just finally put things away. That wasn't really happening today when we saw like the FCS teams played really well. I don't know. Maybe there's something to have being played in the spring that they're more no, game no. shape. I don't know. No. Okay. All right. So uh, I've got it for you. All right. UC Davis over Tulsa. Yeah. Eastern Washington over the fight and Tate Martells, UNLV, South South Dakota state over Colorado state, the fighting Steve Adazio's always fade blowout fashion, always fade Colorado (laughs) state, uh, Holy cross over Yukon, which was not that much of an upset. Remember Holy cross was only a four point dog in that game. Uh, Eastern Tennessee State over Vanderbilt and Montana over Washington for the full FCS over FBS. And I will say that among those other than Washington and Tulsa, I'm not stunned. If you came to me and told, and like, well, Tulsa had the suspensions for the whole first half. Remember stemming from the brawl. Uh, So they had a game. Philip seven should not be dealing with like, like you should still be able to win your uh your FCS game. Even if UC Davis is a good, you know, good FCS team. I understand. Still, I th- I think the bigger takeaway for me there though is the Washington loss. Just because my biggest fear Fire about- John Donovan. My biggest fear with Washington under Jimmy Lake is that they're gonna try to win games 10 to 7. Like Jimmy's got that defensive coordinator mentality where it's like, I can win with my defense. My defense is awesome. And your defense is awesome. But yeah, you need to put points on the board in 2021. You need to be able to score. You can't just be going out there with two tight ends the entire time and trying to run on first down all the time. You need to take shots. You need to implement some more stuff. And it's just, I mean, Montana's, if you look at FCS programs over the year, Montana has been a very good team and Montana might be a very good team again this season, but still if you're Washington and you're ranked in the top 20 and you're trying to compete for PAC 12 North and you consider yourself a PAC 12 contender, you consider yourself a playoff contender. You can't be losing to Montana. They threw the ball 46 times for 226. What's the math? What is 
That's what not that? great. Is what that is. Like it's, it's it's terrible. Holy yeah. cow! Is I what I I don't know. I, I that's horrendous. I, I'm trying to figure out something to say here. Like obviously I didn't watch this game because it's an FCS game and there are a bunch of other games going on. But throwing 46 times for 226 against an FCS team with three picks, Dylan Morris, uh, isn't great. And their run game. 27 rushes for 65 yards. Did they have like an entire offensive lineup with COVID or something that didn't get announced? Because this is mm-hmm. and Tom, they only had four 4.0 per play. They was they were terrible at offense. They didn't do anything. It was just, I mean, again, they were held to seven points by freaking Montana. It's not like you know they were Clemson or playing Georgia tonight or Georgia playing Clemson. They were playing Montana, and it's just, I mean, Oregon did not make me feel good about my playoff prediction for them today, but the rest of the Pac-12 North made me feel good about Oregon at least winning that division. If I ever get fired from CBS, I'm, oh. I'm going to talk to John Donovan about how in the hell he keeps getting jobs after doing a really bad job. Like, this is amazing. I don't, like, Jimmy Lake's going to lose his job if, if he keeps this up eventually what? because he has a terrible offensive coordinator. Okay, it's so what's the, John, what's the full John Donovan track record? Sounds like you got it on top of mind. Like, I do not have his Wikipedia pulled up. Bad at Penn State, bad at Vanderbilt, didn't do anything really impressive all that much with, with the Jaguars. Just pro style, weren't any good last year. Uh, beat you up and take care of the ball. Which is exactly what okay. Jimmy Lake, like that's the allegation, right? That Jimmy Lake is the defensive coordinator. It's, it's yeah, the Jeremy Pruitt syndrome. Yeah, that's, that's they, the one they thing. Fired, Penn State fired him. And, and the, the – oh, sorry. My internet's weird. The year after Penn oh. State fired John Donovan, they won the Big Ten. Washington, there's still hope. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Just terrible. If you fire John Donovan, you too can win your conference. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Look at the, look at this one here from Corey, the John Donovan Walt Bell Dream Team. Oh my gosh! UMass, by the way, did not <clears> cover <throat> against Pitt. Pitt was able to, uh, I believe, it was forty-four to seven. Uh, was that score right there? No, and I think it was fifty-one to seven, wasn't it? Fifty-one to seven. So they did end up covering the thirty-eight, which ticks down a little bit because Robbie Calland and everybody else jumped in on the Minutemen to be able to, uh, you know, move the line. <laughs> oh, there's that late sharp action steam in the Minutemen again. <laughs> um. So I was. Uh, Didn't they fire Whipple? Like, of course, and Mark Whipple is the, the is the pit OC. Oh, that's right. He's got kind of incentive to run it up. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and take it back. Cause we have not gotten a chance to really do a full recap. Um, Virginia tech money line. Hello, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Cashed. Love to see it. North Carolina as a top 10 team fade forever. It certainly feels that way. Doesn't it? New principle. I mean, that was a team that, uh, like two things happened that I was incredibly wrong about. Number one, and I know Bud, you were with me on this one, was we were expecting the defense to be with more experience 
and another full season of strength and conditioning of player development that they were going to show up and they were not going to look tiny and they were not going to get pushed around. They looked small and they got pushed around at the point of attack. That was disappointing. If you thought that North Carolina's defense was going to be much better, helping North Carolina actually be a team that was going to compete for an ACC championship. Not that you were going to win it, but you were at least going to be without a doubt on a tier above the rest of the coastal division and a, a tier above the rest of the conference. The second thing that happened, I think was a little bit more concerning and uh, more difficult to predict, which was players like uh, Josh Downs had a good game, but the the rest of those wide receivers, you know, Emory Simmons, Coffrey Brown, like you looked and you thought, man, like, I think they're going to be able to step in. Ty Chandler comes in. I, I think that he's going to be able to solidify that running back room. The offensive line got whooped all game by Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech was getting a ton of pressure, especially from the interior. Sam Howell was running for his life. I didn't think Sam Howell had a good game either. I thought that Garrett Walston and some of the tight ends and pass catchers had some drops. Had, there were some misreads. And I go back to, so defense was one thing. The second thing is that I always credited Sam Howell for the decision-making that he had within the context of this RPO-based offense. And do you know what makes the RPO-based offense run is being able to have good timing and separation from a wide receiver. And you know what happens when your wide receivers can't get separation and your offensive linemen are all shook because they're getting their asses whooped at the line of scrimmage? You have ineligible line downfield. Down, down you've got uh, offsides pre-snap penalties. And you've got Sam Howell looking at his wide receivers after trying to make the right read, and they don't even have the separation. Like, all of a sudden, this North Carolina offense, man, it broke my heart. You know what it looked like? looks a little putt-putt. It looked like an old, like, Gus Malzahn Auburn offense, you know, where it was just everything kept stuttering and we were just trying and one play would hit and then you back up and it just, there was never any rhythm. There was never any flow. And, uh, and, and I, I do credit Virginia tech for coming out and bringing a physicality and an intensity that North Carolina clearly did not match. And I think that when I look ahead at North Carolina schedule, I think there are many, many wins, but the downgrade for this North Carolina team was as significant than I have for any top 20 team after everything we've seen from, uh, from week one. If, if Justin Fuente could just recruit, he could be so good. Like he's a terrible recruiter. They're not improving the talent level there, but like they develop their talent really well. Like the guys who don't transfer out of the program, which sometimes seems like only like three or four dudes left just because all the excess they've had, like they, they do a really good job scheming. They do a nice job, like developing talent, clearly their strength program is pretty good. It's just like they, they were ready for them. They, they had a good plan. I felt like North Carolina defensively was outgapped for about the first 40 minutes of that game. Didn't it seem like they were always just a man short, mm -hmm. always a gap short Yeah. As far, as far as their run fits? And Braxton Burmeister, I have to give him some credit. I've ragged on him on this podcast. I haven't been very impressed with him. That dude is probably like absolute hell at the Y in basketball. He's like so quick. He's not that fast, but – He's just dancing around, around there in the pocket. Nobody could actually, you know, get get a, a, a straight on shot on him. Flips the ball out there. Arms not anything special. Doesn't look like, but he floats the deep ball nicely and just drops it in the in, in, in the bucket. They they're going to be kind of feisty if they stay healthy. I, I didn't realize that, that Vatex defense 
was going to be that good. Some of those defensive linemen they have have been developed nicely. Yeah, I think another takeaway too here is like, you know, I, I agree with what you were saying, Chip, about that offensive lineman getting pushed around, but I at least think the defensive side of the ball kind of adjusted in the Settled. second half. Yeah, yeah agree. I, I think they, they allowed like six for six on third downs at the beginning of the game, and they only allowed one third down conversion the rest of the game after that. Yeah, because the Hokies came out like, you know, just on fire, and then it kind of went out, and they were... I felt like Virginia Tech had a whole lot of chances to put North Carolina away and just never really did. And I felt like North Carolina had a lot of chances to really just take the game back and never did. And then the clock just ran out. You know what I mean? Yeah. No other major observations? I I mean, the ACC Coastal, we saw, let's see, what is Pitt the best team in the division right now? Duke lost to Charlotte. Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois. North Carolina lost, obviously. Um, Miami got killed. Wake looked good, but they were playing Old Dominion. So it's like, I still think there's a very good chance that North Carolina can prove to be the best team in the Coastal, but this loss might cost them the division. I mean, Virginia Tech fans are going into the weekend and coming out of it feeling like they can compete for an ACC championship, which means that Justin Fuente's hot seat is significantly cool. For now. For now. Um, uh, Chris asks, did y'all already talk LSU? I think Coach O might actually be bad. We did discuss the game. I don't think we actually discussed the coaching. Is he actually bad? I mean, it's hard to say after tonight that he's good, but it's just, I don't know. I mean, oh, I feel- I'm not a pro- I'm not providing anything. This game is strange for a lot of reasons. I think he was out coached tonight, and I also think that honestly, based on what we've seen, and again, it's things are going to change so much between now and the end of this month and the end of this season. But based on what I've seen so far, I think UCLA might just be the better team. Like I, I don't know if there's anything terrible about the coaching as much as. He had a worse team and he lost to the better team. And you could argue for sure that LSU should be a much better team than UCLA, considering that it is LSU and the way that they have recruited. So if you want to look at it from that angle, yeah, but I'm I'm not going to go reaching too far on this one. Coming up on the other side, taking a look at the number one team in the country, uh, digging in on Alabama, as well as some of the other most significant Results of week one next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. 
To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the Crimson Tide for me, um, like a... I, I came in with an underplay that cashed. That does not mean that I am feeling just as confident about some of the reasons that I faded them. The first one, I do feel confident about. Alabama has one of the best defenses in the country. Check, 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 check. Feel great about that. Number two, I was like, I don't know. Bill O'Brien, things might be a little bit rocky. Uh, new quarterback in Bryce Young, things might be a little bit rocky. I do not think... <laughs> As uh, producer Coca notes on youtube.com slash cover three, I do not think I have as many doubts about this Alabama offense. Uh, How about Jamison Williams? Like the number seven Ohio State wide receiver had 124 receiving yards in this game. Um, You know, it wasn't even necessarily like it was a brilliant game plan, but it goes back to just our ongoing theme and conversation about uh, overwhelming opponents at the wide receiver position, being able to really spread the field. And if you do have elite talent, like eventually, like back to the Ohio State Minnesota game, eventually there's going to be like a wide open four star, five star on a crossing route. And guess what? If you throw them the ball and you're able to deliver it on time, then they're going to be able to go and take that and turn it into an explosive play. I thought Bryce Young looked fantastic. In terms of a a debut as a starting quarterback, uh, we're talking, he's right up there with Mac Jones and Joe Namath with his yards and his touchdowns. I think four touchdowns may be a record for an Alabama in his Alabama quarterback in his starting debut. So I am... um, I am I'm just going back into my like cave of creeping inevitability of the Sabinization era, something that we have all experienced as professionals that have been uh, been working throughout the Saban era. Um, this is uh, this is another Alabama team that's probably going to win the SEC West. And hey, look, Georgia did a great job, but Georgia cannot play keep up with this Alabama offense, even with all the turnover that they've had. Miami played a paycheck game and Alabama treated it like a paycheck opponent. I mean, this was just, again, it, it's, you have to feel good, obviously, if you're an Alabama fan, but just on a weekend, like we're the first week of the season, you look at the national title contenders and a lot of them look jittery, mm-hmm. not Alabama. Mm-hmm. Alabama just looked ready to kill everybody all over again. Bryce Young like just steps right in, plays fantastic. The new receivers played fantastic. The running game was good. Defensively, it's like my like I said before, you know, the game when we were previewing it, I said, I don't see how Derek King coming off an ACL is going to be able to run. And I think Alabama's got a perfectly 
suitable defense to make sure he has nothing to run. And Derek King, 10 yards rushing on nine carries. They kept him in the pocket, forced Miami to try to beat him through the, you know, in the passing game. And Miami can't do that. So it's when you're Alabama and you're better than everybody else and you just take away your opponent's strength, you get a 44 to 13 blowout in which, honestly, it felt like it was a much bigger win than, you know, 31 points. Look, Miami's receivers don't scare anybody. They don't win one-on-one matchups, typically. Uh, That's an offense for the Hurricanes that is based on tempo, uh, and it's hard to run tempo if you're just completely getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage on all the inside runs that you're trying to do. Um, We've seen this before with them when they go up against a really elite team. This looked very similar to how last year's Clemson game went, to be honest, right? Clemson steps up there. They disrespect Miami's receivers. They stuff the inside run. Miami can't run tempo. That offense doesn't really have any drop back. Not that, not that Deer King's a good drop back passer anyway, because he's not. Like he's going to be going pro in something other than sports. But like they don't have a drop back game, really. So they can't, when they get to third and eight, unless he scrambles around and does something, they're kind of screwed. And they were not able to run their tempo at all against Alabama. Um, now, Miami defensively, I do have some questions if they have the same level of impact guy on the defensive line uh, that they have had in recent years. I don't know. I didn't see a lot of that, but yet they're also playing Alabama, so I don't want to overreact this. And I do want to give Bama credit, I think, for the absolute freak shows they are producing right now. Everybody made a big deal when they lost Scott Cochran to Georgia. But they got Dr. Matt Ray, and they got the new strength staff. It's a little more you know, medicine-based, I guess. Their guys just look so much bigger and faster than everybody else. They may have found something with the sports science that everybody else may be playing, like, keep up in this sport for a year or two. You always have to say doctor. That's that's the rule. If, if we're going to talk about Matt Ray, we've got to call him Dr. Matt Ray. And I need graphics, and I need slideshows, and I need like the Galaxy Brain logo all the way. I say that with love in my heart, Dr. Matt Ray. I'm just letting you know, Dr. Matt Ray, that I think it's interesting that the greatest college football coach of all time has made it a very significant pivot in the way that he has decided that he wants to treat the development of the human body at the highest level of athleticism. It is a very significant storyline, but is right to mention it. But it is hilarious that I have to call you Dr. Matt Ray. <laughs> um, hey, hey, listen, soft tissue injuries are down thirty percent, or whatever. Yes, they the, are. Uh, yeah, whatever the uh, the line is um, that they've got, it is true. Yeah, they're up a hundred percent to Miami, though. They they, they, they beat um, the hell out of them. So I I thought that you were right about the defensive line, but I totally agree with that. I felt like Miami having Bubba Bolden and like some good athleticism in the back end probably kept this from going over. You know, like as I realized, thank God, I was so pissed if I lost that under man. Yeah, I was was like realizing that the game had gotten out of hand and understood that Alabama was going to be able to pick its score. And it was the athleticism of Miami's secondary that actually kept that thing in check. Um, Iowa State 16, Northern Iowa 10. We spent an entire offseason fighting with Iowa State fans. I have no plans to come out here and gloat because those Iowa State fans take such copious notes that they would understand very quickly that I, as I sit here at 1238 a.m. on the East Coast, I haven't watched it, okay? 
I have not gone back to watch that game. So I, I present this game to you asking whether you got any eyes on Iowa State, Northern Iowa. Um, my only note that I have in my pad is uh, a text or a Slack message from Tom Fernelli. I forgot which one that pointed out that all Northern Iowa is here for is to ruin <laughs> seasons of either Iowa or Iowa State for the one game that they play mm-hmm. at some point in the season. Uh, are we panicked at all by what the Cyclones might have done? And, you know, like Oregon against Fresno State, maybe, probably not like Ohio State against Minnesota. Um, Iowa State might have gone spring game on this one, right? Yeah, I, I didn't see, I didn't really start paying attention to this game until the third quarter when it was still, you know, 13 to 10 and Iowa State was really struggling to pull away. And it's like, all right, well, I better turn this on just in case. And even from what I saw, like, I mean, I'm not worried about Iowa State, to be honest. I don't, I don't think that this really changes my expectations for them. I think that, you know, it might have been a vanilla game plan with Iowa looming next week and the Cyclones. We're in a situation where they did not want to put a whole lot on tape of ahead of one of their very biggest games of the year, and they thought they would be able to get by Northern Iowa without it. And Northern Iowa defensively did a good job of keeping them, you know, close and not allowing them a chance to pull away. So they got more than they bargained for, but in the end, they pulled off the win. And I think it's just, you know, next week it's all about Iowa, who looked amazing today against Indiana. I'm not going to say a damn thing about Iowa State until they play somebody for real. I'm not 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 going to follow that trap. Yeah, I, I think next week's going to tell us a whole hell of a lot more about Iowa State than today did. All right, what about Sark's debut? 38-18 against Louisiana. Um, this was, uh, I think Texas is like 10 and 0 against Sun Belt teams going into it. So I guess that would make them still remaining undefeated against Sun Belt teams. And while there were, um some frustrations and some moments where it felt like Texas couldn't get things going. I never really saw Louisiana put together any kind of sustained success that made it look like they were going to threaten the Longhorns to win. So I guess if you are buying into the idea that Louisiana is still one of the best uh, teams in all of group of five, then this is great for Texas. But if you think that this is, probably what the score would have been even if louisiana did not have that little 23 next to its name you'd like to see texas improve on some things uh, which side of that fence do y'all fall on right now relief like i i think that louisiana is a very good group of five team i think it could win the Sun Belt, and maybe it's not the 23rd best team in the country but i think it's a solid team but my biggest takeaway from this game was it was just a nice change of pace. And I I tweeted something to this effect, just a nice change of pace to see Texas in a game where you feel like Louisiana, as good as it might be, is a team that Texas should be able to handle without too much trouble. And it was nice to see Texas actually do that against a team that you feel like it should just beat. And it went out there and it did beat them. It didn't blow them out. It wasn't the kind of performance that makes you think, Oh wow, Texas might challenge Oklahoma in the big 12. It might be a playoff contender. None of that. It's just, a very nice way to start the season with a new coach. They didn't screw things up. They looked smart. They played smart. And, you know, I, I just felt like there was a very good flow and a rhythm and a purpose to what they were doing. And I think that bodes well going forward. But again, I don't, I don't think that this win means that they're going like 10, 11 and one or 10 and two or anything. 
Bud, what you got? I think it's fair. Um, yeah, I, I I thought Texas had just superior athletes ultimately, and they were never really scared by Louisiana's passing game. Um, that's that, I think that's really kind of what what holds Louisiana back uh, some. But I, I I thought Texas looked good. Like I don't think Texas gonna win the Big Twelve, but they they came out and handled a, a a team that a lot of people really believed in. What else from the notepad as we are, uh, we're coming up on uh, about an hour here on the instant reaction show. What else were some of the biggest standouts uh, from the day? Uh, I would say shout out to Kansas state for getting me started on my over five and a half win total with a, with a win over Stanford and also getting chip cover on the locks. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I thought Iowa and we, we touched on it of the big 10 teams that we saw this weekend, to me, Iowa was the most impressive, and they, you know, they they crushed Indiana, and I felt like they kind of really took their foot off the gas because the way that that game started, I mean, Danny was counting his blessings because there was no way that under should have hit, and he was sweating that whole thing because you know it was it was thirty four to it was thirty one to three at halftime, it was thirty one to six after three. You just kind of felt like the Iowa Hawkeyes were just getting anything they wanted, and it was a really good performance, and it's just. Based on what I saw from Wisconsin today, based on what I saw from the rest of the Big Ten West, I think Iowa could be your favorite right now to win that division. I, they could be. That that game is at Wisconsin, though, right? Yes. So I, do you trust Wisconsin? Do you trust that to come down to a head-to-head? I don't I, think Indiana is any good. Uh, sorry, Andrew. I mean, I just like I think Iowa's pretty good. I didn't see anything from Indiana, and Indiana was extremely lucky last year. You know, uh, that was kind of my theme for the day: teams that were very lucky last year, kind of coming back to earth today, with the exception of Rutgers, who somehow scores sixty points on like three point eight yards of play. That's <laughs> shout out Rutgers. Filed that away, by the way, for the next couple of weeks. Oh my gosh, ridiculous! Um, I think I think that all the all the Rutgers fans that I talk to on a regular basis have a pretty so my, hold on sorry that was just a joke um, they've got a pretty sober minded view of this which is that the offense was not good like Rutgers like everyone looks at this and they see defense played great you were plus four on the turnover and special teams came up with some big plays Noah Vidral is not going to be the savior of your offense right now. There is no Nebraska quarterback, whether it's Adrian Martinez or Noah Vidral or Luke McCaffrey. No matter where you are in college football, if you're a former Nebraska quarterback, you're, you're not the answer right now. You're not going to be the savior for the offensive efforts. But a 61 is a 61 is a 61. So, hey, Greg Schiano got the boys to cover. So you love that. You do love to see it. So I wanted to point out a couple of results. Number one, Mississippi State avoiding a loss against Louisiana Tech is a major adjustment for me for both of these teams. I thought Louisiana Tech was going to be very, very bad. And I don't think that Mississippi State is like within one point of them. So clearly it is both Mississippi State playing down and Louisiana Tech playing up. How much of that is sustainable? How much of that can... Uh, be continued, especially with Mississippi State hosting this NC State team that we saw play very well on Thursday night against USF. And number two, producer Coca does so much great, fantastic work for us. But man, Maryland, West Virginia lived up to all of the, like 
Tom, what were the words we were using? It was like, I don't know. It's going to be zany. It's going to be like weird. It's going to be dumb. It's going to be back and forth. Uh, Yeah. Maryland, West Virginia delivered on everything that I wanted it to be. It was the like, are you going to go over or under your win total? Are you going to be bowling or not bowling? Well, guess what? The lot was cast and uh, Mike Loxley, Talia Tugavailoa, uh, Teon Fleet Davis, uh, Dante Demas, like that. They end up being on the uh, on the right side of that one. Um, I'm trying to think what was that third result that I had on here. Oh, congrats to Shane Beamer. Uh, yeah. you, you got it done. Got that dub. Congrats to Dino Babers. Twenty point win. I'm so mad at myself for not betting that. There like was a part of me, one and a half or something like, like that. There was just a part of me that was like, on principle alone, how am I not going to bet an ACC team on the road against a MAC team as an underdog? But I was too scared because of everything that happened to Syracuse last year. I didn't pull the trigger. I'm an idiot. I'm mad at myself. I should have bet Syracuse. Dana Holgerson got blanked 31 to nothing in the second yeah. half. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, uh, Spencer, Sanders, <laughs> Spencer Sanders did not play. He was in COVID protocol. Oh, yeah. By the way, Lane Kiffin is not going to coach on Monday night. Uh, breakthrough positive COVID. Oh, case. I have a text from the dentist. Oh. About how to adjust with the Lane. The, com- the comment section wanted to know if it, um, and he said, I think it helps the under that Lane Kiffin is out. And I agree, actually. I think that inter- like when coordinators step up in these situations, we typically see them play a little tighter probably won't be quite as efficient with their fourth down decision-making. And uh, I think it will help the under. I played the under 76 and a half today. Um, the, uh, the dirt, I've seen some comments, not only just now from Garrett, but also throughout the show earlier. Uh, dirt bikes. <laughs> the dirt bike offense, Michigan uh, rolling over Western Michigan. I the, My note from this game was just that everyone went bananas about J.J. McCarthy. I did not see whether or not Cade McNamara played poorly or not. But, when the, but when the lingering highlight is this, you know, that other guy, I was just saying like, hey, Let's let's check in on this again. Okay. We're we're recording like fresh off the live blog, so I have not gotten to like really dig into this one yet. So I don't know if y'all have any insight. Um, yeah, the, the highlight is JJ McCarthy unleashing a magnificent throw that he should never throw, and his coaches are probably going to yell at him about for making it. But it paid off, and it ended up in a touchdown. But no, I thought. I mean, it was just. I think that's. It's not a win that really means anything beating Western Michigan 47 to 14, but I think it's a good game just to just for Michigan fans, like mental state of being. Cause it's like, I feel like if you're Michigan, you're coming into the year and you might have optimism, you might have high hopes, you might be convincing yourself that it's going to be good, but there's still that cloud that just hangs over. So to see Michigan come out and play a team, it should be kind of like we were just talking about with Texas and just dominate that game from start to finish and handle that team the way you expect Michigan to. I mean, they rushed for 334 yards. They averaged nearly eight yards per carry. The offense, the passing attack was really efficient. McNamara and McCarthy were 13 to 17 for 216 yards, three touchdowns. It was just a very good day to be a Michigan fan and just give them some confidence going forward when they've got much more tougher games coming. Two really key injuries to keep track of here. Ronnie Ronnie Bell. Bell which is huge because he was a major threat on the outside for them. Uh, also, uh, Thibodeau for Oregon uh, in a walking boot after the game. They have Ohio State next week. I want to spend like two, three minutes on the Big Ten. Northwestern. First of all, I'm sorry about Hunter Johnson. 
He actually looked better yeah. than I thought he was going to look. The rest of Northwestern sucked to high heaven. <laughs> so I really like I. If you go back to the Locks Pod when we did the Big Ten, we said I really like Michigan State because they get Northwestern in Week One, and Northwestern lost more than any Power Five team. I'm not going to rule out Northwestern turning us around, but I am damn sure happy that that my Michigan State over they got to play them Week One because like they blitzed their ass. Yeah, I was the the biggest shock of that game to me was it was like like you mentioned. I thought Hunter Johnson for the most part played pretty well. It's just my concern is that what Hunter Johnson seems best at is vertical passing because he threw some nice passes. It's just I don't. You don't love Northwestern's receivers, Tom? Yeah, I don't think Northwestern is anybody that can get to them when they throw them. So that's a problem. But then also defensively is like that was the worst I think I've seen in Northwestern defense. Look, not just from results of the numbers against them, but just. Like the way that they looked on the field, like guys out of their gaps and all that just kind of stuff that you don't typically see from Northwestern. That was just a really sloppy performance from them overall. And I think Michigan State, man, they might be, you know, like you see the way Indiana played today. Michigan State might be moving back into that number four spot in the Big Ten East power rankings this year. Kenneth Walker the third. Demon Deacons legend mm-hmm. out here with like 230 yards and four touchdowns against a defense that needed like nine Pat Fitzgeralds out there and Mike Hankwitz back as defensive coordinator after retiring. Like we kind of hinted at it from time to time. We were saying, hey, you know, like as, as we do with every single team, whenever there's a, a changeover in coordinator for good or for bad, something to take into consideration. But, you know, even at the end of last season, we felt like his retirement was kind of snuck up on us and the joke was made. We never said Mike Hankwitz's name until he was just about to retire to give him all the appreciation and the credit for how good Northwestern defenses have been for how uh, those, those units had played above their talent level and had competed against teams like, you know, like, Beating the winning the division against uh, a Wisconsin or an Iowa and going up against an Ohio State and putting a scare in them in Indianapolis. And it lingered for me as we were watching Kenneth Walker shred this Northwestern defense, like you mentioned, with some alignment issues all along the way. And I said, hmm, wonder if that's a little bit of a significant adjustment. Um, we give a lot of credit to Pat Fitzgerald and he gets a lot of adjustments in our power ratings. I think Pat Fitzgerald has some work to do to live up to that top 10 head coaching ranking right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I mean, if 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 this Northwestern team gets to 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, I think he'll have maintained his top 10 Agreed. ranking. Yes, no, 100%. If this Northwestern team is bowling in the holidays, then, yeah, all of you Northwestern fans who are pumping him up as one of the best coaches in all of college football, uh, you absolutely, you will have another great piece of your argument. All right. I got, uh, I got a lot more football to watch. Minnesota played well, Ohio state. Dude, like Ohio state played what it's B game. C plus game. (laughs) I would say C minus game. I'd I'd go C plus C plus. Okay. And they had 10.8 yards per play. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was all on the chunk plays. I mean, you like you literally sort them that's out. That's what Bama did last year. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly I, that was that was the game plan. Like I I wrote that afterwards. It's 
They just basically put C.J. Stroud in the Mac Jones role. Throw short passes to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, and then watch them run for 60 yards. I just I gave that win to uh, to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Ryan Day. I loved what Ryan Day said afterwards, where he said, I'm, "We're not going to stop. Like we're not going to go conservative. We're going to keep taking big swings." I think "big swings" is his actual quote. He was like, "We're we're going to keep throwing haymakers," and that's what Ohio State's going to do. Told you, hey, 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 hey! I told y'all they get off the bus. They score 40 points. <laughs> I told everybody they get off the bus and they score 40 points. And that's just what's going to happen every single did you, game. Did you go bet the team total? Because I, I, on the locks pot, I said, you know, you could also take the over 37 and a half Ohio State teams that are. I like that. I didn't. Did know. you take it? No, no, no. They, they covered for you anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Normal people. Hey. <laughs> Just- <laughs> hey, man. I've got- the ROI is for recreation. Right. It's for recreation. How many darts do I have in my hand? I'm going to throw these darts and we'll see where they land. I think Chip had a day, though. You know who else is having a day? We were dogging him, so I'm going to give him credit. Shout out New Mexico State for first handing Bud his very first locks loss of the season. But they are currently beating San Diego State 10 to 7 in the third quarter. The same team that lost to UTEP by 27 last week, lost to Tarleton State in the spring, beating up on the Aztecs right now. That is, you know, I said they had the intent to throw the ball fast and be better. Mm -hmm. That's like when I had the intent to actually put the dish in the dishwasher, but I just lay it next to the sink. Like, like that that analysis by me was so crap. Like they, their offense is hot garbage. Look, look. wow, it's not great. They, they're five of sixteen for fifty-one yards through the air. It's it's their first game. Come on, I mean, it could be worse. They they could be losing to South Dakota State at home by nineteen. All did all of the week zero teams play well? Uh, no, <laughs> Illinois didn't play well. UConn, notwithstanding, <laughs> Illinois, I guess, is, is the example. <laughs> Illinois, oh, I mean, that was uh, I was hoping we could get through the whole show without really talking about that, but uh, yeah, I mean, Marshall played awesome, they didn't play in week zero. Army played awesome, too. Shout Army out. played awesome, Army just took Georgia State behind the woodshed. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, uh, I think, oh, uh, I do need to do this. We have so many App State listeners. I have been mean to Chase Bryce. He looked, he looked good. In context of Chase Bryce's and expectations, he looked phenomenal. Yes, that is correct. With all the qualifications that Tom just offered, in context of Chase Bryce's, he did. He looked. He, he looked like. A, he looked like a. He looked like a group of five starting winning quarterback. I mean, it's uh, it's impressive. They. Uh, I feel like they went through on the broadcast and just sort of rattled off like, oh yeah, and by the way, you know, ever since this program has made the jump, you know, I think that very first year they got off to a rocky start, but then they finished strong with like five wins in the last six games. Uh, to be able to finish with maybe what would have been bowl eligible. And then it's just been nothing but like nine, 10 win seasons. 
all the rest of the way. Consistency in Boone is uh, is admirable, and it is a, a big part of Coastal played well. Uh, Louisiana, obviously, you're a little bit disappointed with the result against Texas, but I still think that's a, a really good squad. The uh, the Sun Belt still a whole lot of fun. All right, I'm uh, I think I think I got everything out. Anything? One last note. All right, cool. Shout out to Sam Pittman in Arkansas from coming back from 17 to seven down against Rice to not only win, but to cover a 20 point spread winning 38 to 17. I mean, shout out because if you had lost to Rice in that position, because Rice was trying to go in and do like, uh, like three yards in a cloud of dust to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Just try and play, keep away from Arkansas. Just try what Stanford used to be. Yeah. Overwhelm them at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Oh, and uh, shout out to Kentucky's new air raid offense. They got themselves a quarterback. If you listen to us for, for 69 minutes, their defense looks leaky to me against a really bad Louisiana Monroe team. I think the, the race for the worst team in the, in the country is going to be between Monroe and Akron. And uh, they had guys open. I'm going to bet Missouri against them next week. So preview the lock spot there. That's uh, like Lisbon and Rosa Bailey couldn't take advantage of it, but that defense does not look very good. I actually watched that game because I'm a sicko and I was live betting the hell out of it. <laughs> I, you guys, I well, think, like I've got like group chat, Lisbon and Monroe guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's <laughs> chiming in with their observations. And then Bud's like, all right, guys, I'm dialed on this Kentucky Lisbon <laughs> Monroe game. <laughs> Oh, thank you, bud. I was really hoping somebody would jump on that grenade <laughs> so we could make sure that we had eyes on Kentucky, Louisiana, Monroe. Now, I was I I told y'all before I was a little bit spooked over all Louisiana teams. I was like, I I don't know, I cannot handicap. We have been thrown a major curveball that I have no idea how to be able to uh, to dial in on, but. Uh, if Kentucky's defense is looking leaky, that goes against the perception that we have for Kentucky's defense. And if their offense is all of a sudden scoring more, then that leaky defense is going to be on the field more than they were when they were just having uh, a more ground-heavy, you know, control-the-ball approach. Going up against the Alpha Nerd, who maybe kept it packed in, Connor Basilak. Yeah, see, that's... That's that's going to be an interesting thing to keep track of this week going forward for next week. Is I'm wondering how many of these teams just kept things very basic, and if I once I take a closer look at some of these results, it might you know kind of stand out that there were some very very simple game plans for games that teams just thought they would win. But it's one of those things I love about college football, especially when all of a sudden the like the packed in game plan doesn't work because it's 18 to 22 year old mm-hmm. and because it's dumbass college football. And then all of a sudden you're Iowa state and you're like, Oh no. Oh, oh no. We don't want to put that on tape. We don't even have it in the game plan for this week. <laughs> what are we going to do? Northern Iowa is re- like, we thought we could have back dive this all the way to a win. Nope. Damn. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I love it's it's one of my favorite things about early season football without a doubt. Oh, uh UCF Boise State before we get out of here. 
welcome to the Gus Melzahn experience. You got the whole thing in the first game of the season. <laughs> I mean, that's that was all of it right there. Just insanity. And then sometimes you're going to end up winning and sometimes you're going to end up losing. Yeah. Sorry about the weather forecast. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Chip for calling the multiple lightning delays yeah. in the five hour game. <laughs> I just, I sensed it. Just one of those things. I was like, I'm, and I knew I was on duty too, you know, and it was just going to line up that I wasn't going to be able to sign off of work till 2 a.m. And I was still going to, you know, be up with the one-year-old at 6 a.m., getting ready for school. And so uh, it's like, I, I just, I see the the little lightning clouds, at least the percent of chance. And, and you're right, bud. You said like, oh yeah, Central Florida, you always have this much of a chance. I was like, oh no, not tonight. Not on game night. <laughs> Electricity around the bounce house. Uh, um, crosswind season starts probably in October, right? Yeah, late September, early October. Yeah, when we start to get those nice, the planes get breezy. Yeah, the planes get really breezy. We'll, we'll keep that one on uh, on your radar for sure. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott Three. You can follow him at him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back with you live again on Monday afternoon. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, youtube.com slash cover3. If you would like to watch live, subscribers, uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You will get it as soon as the show is done and published. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.